0: welcome to let's pod this my name is andy moore thank you for joining us again this week we are uh hitting on all cylinders today we've got a new studio that is you know mostly in place Uh, not mostly it's barely in place we're starting out uh but scott and i are here together and we're joined with a, a, a guest via a distance after some technical difficulties we made it work um ellen pogmiller from oea is here hello ellen
1: Hey, glad to be here.
0: Scott, hello to you as well. What's up, man? Hey, it's good to see you. It is good to
2: see you in person. How are you?
0: I'm well. I'm well. We're also joined off mic this week by our intern, Micah Caruso. Hello, Micah. She's waving from across the room. Ellen's phone is ringing. This is totally normal, folks. Listeners, if you're new to us, (laughs) this is a normal podcast. We are making it happen yeah it's uh it's also totally normal because
2: session starts next week which means i've spent the last week reading bills particularly ones that complain to healthcare. which means i have a migraine and need to drink more whiskey
0: (laughs) well and uh (laughs) like the podcast of yesteryear we are drinking whiskey while we record which i think yields a uh a certain je ne sais quoi element of our podcasting oh it's absolutely a superior product <laughs> there's no question <laughs> all right great well, well now um, i'm
1: sad that i'm not there in person <laughs> i know yeah well I,
0: I got a glass of old forester with your name on it it is perfect we have Thanks. very nice whiskey and very cheap glasses um and glasses <laughs> i mean solo cups because we haven't yet moved in because we're in college yeah maybe by our next episode um, we'll have a better setup. We better because we have a, another special guest. Not that Ellen's not special, but we have a wow, <laughs> wow! Did you hear that? Ellen, <laughs> he just threw you a really one of the,
1: special guest next week. He just <laughs> threw you one. Of the,
0: we can't bust out the solo cups for her. Uh, <laughs> my, my apologies. <laughs> no, what's funny? uh So I, I'm jumping ahead. I'm just
2: going to go ahead and say our next guest would absolutely drink a whiskey out of a solo
0: cup. She she definitely would. So our our guest um, in in two weeks, actually two weeks from today, will be Labor Commissioner Leslie Osborne, who I. I don't know if it was the last time she deal. was on. What's that, Helen?
1: That's a big deal.
0: Oh, she's uh, she's good people. Do you, do you know Do you know what happened the first
2: time she they, was on the show? This Ellen? is the story I was going to tell. Yeah. So, so the first time, we were still recording the podcast in my house, okay? My old house, not my new house. And uh, um, somehow there was a miscommunication about what time and whatever. And I needed to walk my dog because my dog definitely needed a walk. And you were late. And I was late. <laughs> Um, no, it wasn't that. It wasn't that I. Now I remember. I was late getting home. My brother was walking his dog. <laughs> yes. Is what it was. My brother was walking his dog, and he texted me, and he was like, "Hey, man, uh, we just walked by because we lived in the same neighborhood." And he was like, "We just walked by your house, and like, there's some lady in a suit sitting on your front porch." And it was <laughs> Leslie Osborne in like her suit sitting on my front steps. Uh, Just like waiting. She was wearing jeans. Waiting waiting on my ass to get home. And I got there and I was like, I am so, so sorry. And she, of course, was like, no big deal. And then we went up to uh, uh, my office, which was not nice, and uh, recorded a podcast. And she's, despite that being her initiation to Let's Pod This, she's come back at least twice.
0: That's when she was running for labor commissioner. And I remember that she was wearing jeans and perhaps shorts because that was the year – that she, there was a she was definitely not wearing shorts okay well I was wearing shorts because I had a shitload load of mosquito bites on my legs because that was the year that we had it was a pretty moist year damp damp year sorry listeners didn't we ban the word moist from the I show I think so. so I apologized and <laughs> uh, and we had a lot of mosquitoes and you were like I remember you texted me and saying I was like well no we're on the on the porch and you said who's we and I said Leslie Osborne and you said please do not let my dog eat Leslie Osborne <laughs> <laughs> So
2: <laughs> anyway, so uh, yeah, good times. Good
0: times. All right. Well, uh, Scott, you, you started off on the exactly the right point. Session begins next week. And- um, Is it
2: already time again? It is. I feel like I'm still tired from last session.
0: Really? I feel like it's been so long since really? last session. Yeah.
2: Is that because like-
1: We had an like, election.
2: Well, and because there was a, there was like that year where they were just like in session for like a whole year. Because there were all the special sessions. That was last year. They had three special sessions. No, but they weren't still in session in, like, October. Well, technically they were. I mean, technically. But there was the year. Like, wasn't it the year before that that was, like, with COVID? They were, like, perpetually in session, right? like, actually doing shit for, like, months. A long
0: time, yeah. No, last year was a little bit different. It was actually a bit of a return to normal. And I hope this year goes that way even more. Now, that's not to say that normal is good. I mean, yeah, the baseline is not not great. Right, right. So we'll get into that. Um, but just to say off the the top here, Monday, this coming Monday, just February 6th, will be um, the first day of session. And the governor will deliver his state of the state address uh, around noon that day. Is that right, Ellen? Yes, Ellen's nodding. That is correct. Thank you. So uh, Micah and I will be there. Ellen, are you going to attend in person or watch online?
1: We do a OEA team watch from our Ooh.
2: office. Do you have a drinking game?
1: We have pizza. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Eleven pleads the fifth. <laughs> um, that's good. I, uh, I've i never been invited to the OEA watch party, but that sounds like a lot of fun. Lot I know several other organizations are doing that. Maybe next year. Maybe we'll do that here in our little community room in our office. Should we have a drinking game? We we should also plead the fifth on that. I've I've done a uh, several years ago, I did a, a bingo card. How many times? You know what? We should we should do
2: that today. We should set how. What's the over or under on how many times he's going to say Biden's inflation? Mm-hmm. Um, what's the over or under on how many times he's going to say top ten? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Does he use the word mandate? Mm-hmm. Which I bet he does. I'll
0: mm-hmm. um, oh, we'll have to think about that. Yeah, keep thinking about that. We'll end with episode with that. A bingo. A bingo card. That's what I just said. Did I made a bingo card. Yes. Oh, don't even listen, man. After four years, we're like an ordinary couple just <laughs> bickering on the podcast. Okay, um, as I already mentioned, so we're gonna we're gonna hit a few highlights here first, and then we're gonna talk with Ellen more extensively about education policy and some of the bills that have been proposed this year. So, Ellen, please feel free to jump in whenever you'd like. I'm actually gonna make you bigger on our screen so we can see you easier. Um, there it is. Okay. Um, let's start. Uh, and I'm just going to mention this because we're going to address it more in two weeks when she's on the show, but Leslie Osborne had an op ed in the Tulsa world this week that I think was titled essentially get back to governing stop growing morality, police state. Like it was like a very straightforward, um, I think shot at, I'll say the, the fringe of, of her party in particular. Right. Um, time out. Okay, time out.
2: And you know, you should have seen this coming. Is it the fringe of her party? She's a Republican, it's
0: that party. That's the fringe that is the
2: Right right right. But, right, but 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 fringe implies that the people that are doing this are like a minority, like they're outliers, like that that in fact, Leslie Osborne and people like her still represent the main thrust of Republicans, particularly in Oklahoma, and I would argue that that is not the case. I, I would say I would say that it is not the fringe. That is what the Republican Party in Oklahoma does now.
0: Okay. I, it's a point well taken. I am basing this purely on numbers of elected officials, and I think that there are a handful of elected officials who are the primary driving force behind this, and most are silent about it, which is a shame, and then there's a few, like Leslie, who are like, Hey guys,
2: this is wrong. Ag- agree. I think my point is you're right. It's a few people that are driving it. If they come up, all of them will vote for it.
0: Oh, that's uh, that's right. A right. And you don't you don't
2: you don't get to say that it's the fringe, but I voted for it because voting for it keeps me from getting primaried <laughs> right. or it gets me money, or like whatever. Like you don't like you don't get to say it's the tinfoil hat caucus, and but I voted for their bill because I like. Had to. That's you, a that's a good point, right. Scott. Because
0: like, if you're if if you were in a room, like let's say we have a guest on the show in this little closet of a room when we're in, and we say and and they're like, oh, these these guys are the worst. Like this is terrible stuff. This is crazy. Which, which happens? Yes. Yes. Let's be clear. Right. And and then we're like we're like yeah 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 it is bad. How'd you vote? And then they're like, well, well, I mean, uh, I we got to understand it's complicated because yeah, vote. <laughs> and. And that, yes, your point is very well taken, sir, that that is exactly the opportunity they have to stand up and say, no, this is batshit. Like, you should not yeah. vote for this. Right. I'm going to have to check the uh – Explicit box in this episode, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's time. <laughs> in my head, I, I left off the word crazy there thinking that was the bad word. I was just like, I'm just going to say batshit. <laughs> yeah. But that had the bad word in it. Yeah. I mean, I,
2: so far all we've said is shit. Well, you're at, I think maybe an ass in there somewhere, but we could drop an F-bomb and we'd be in real trouble.
0: Well, you know, this, this is like my physics teacher said in high school is that it's only cursing if you say a word that's not in the Bible. He allowed us to say ass, damn, and hell because oh, those are in the Bible.
2: Okay. You know it's interesting i
0: uh i sorry, Jonah, our youngest listener i think <laughs> i uh i uh,
2: i I saw a patient today um uh who was there uh, they were a thirteen year old um and they said uh they said um asshole like not like not calling me an asshole but like <laughs> they used asshole like in their description of what was going on, and their mother was there with them and was like <gasps> and I was like, trust me." Worst things have right. been said in this room to today. <laughs> also, if, I mean, was he talking about a person or about a, a, a physical part of his body? Oh, they were definitely talking about they were definitely talking about people.
0: But um oh, okay. But pe- people have also used it in in reference to their anatomy, sure as well. I mean, I feel like a lot of slang gets thrown around. Then, like when you're talking about your anatomy, you're like, I've got a, I've got a bump, bleed, whatever. Well,
2: if it's a if it's a bump, the inevitable term is spider bot Really? It's always, it's always. I got, I got a spider bite, and I'm like, you don't have a spider bite. (laughs) Yeah, dude, it's right here. It's, it's, it's an MRSA abscess. That's exactly. It's it's not, it's not a spider bite. You sure? Yes,
0: yes. I've worked in infectious diseases long enough to know that's just true as well. Ellen, Ellen's husband is a physician, so she gets some of this at home as well. I assume. It's been fifteen minutes, and we've, we've just been bullshitting the whole time. It's been eleven minutes, and we've said some important things. Okay, well, anyway, um, a couple of quotes here from Representative – no, excuse me, Labor Commissioner Osborne's um, op-ed, which, again, we'll visit more in depth. But I want to say them here, and we'll put the link to this in our show notes. She said, as an elected official and former member of the Oklahoma House, I believe it is that we, as a state and country, have forgotten what, why we are there anti-LGBTQ plus legislation is again on the uptick and the strictest abortion laws in the nation have been enacted without the safety net, usually allowed for cases of rape and incest.
2: Can I take one of the most telling lines in this to me? Mm -hmm. Yet instead, we seem to be coming exactly what the women of Iran are bravely and valiantly fighting against, a growing morality police state. She just compared the government of Oklahoma to, like, the Iranian regime.
0: That's saying something. Now, I think you and I both... I have family that's from... that's Persian, that's from Iran, and some colleagues. Um, I know your wife's family is Egyptian, and I I know you have some other colleagues from that part of the world. Um, How do you think they would handle that comparison?
2: That is... fascinating, actually. Um, In in Ashley's family it's often a comparison that gets made um not so much by her like immediate family but by more extended members um it's a comparison that gets made um whenever democrats are in charge um because they you know they would say that they fled a socialist regime and so that a lot of that that rhetoric that gets thrown around about socialism and communism, like that strikes a particular chord with with some members of her family, particularly the older ones who actually remember living in Egypt, you know, 60, 70 years ago. Um, um, I think, you know, I'm thinking of a particular colleague of mine that, you know, um, was born in, born in Iran and still has a lot of family there. I, I, I think there's no – there is no universe – I don't think, um, in which case, you know, you, you know, in Iran, you have people that are being executed for things like dancing and not wearing religious garb, and you know, not not following particular tenets of religious law. That's not, I don't think, something will ever happen in Oklahoma or any part of the United States. Um, however, if you look at the abortion discussion, debate, whatever you want to call it, and look at that as fundamentally a religious argument, not a medical argument or a science-based argument, and you look at women who can, you know, could or 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 may die because they don't have access to that, is the fact that they weren't executed by the state, is that a distinction without a difference? Do you see what I'm saying? I think so. Like if a like like if there's a woman who needs an abortion, a medically necessary abortion, And cannot get it because it is not clear um, whether that is allowed under the law, right? Or if it is – if that procedure is delayed until such time as her life is in so much danger that she dies and she could have lived if that had been provided sooner, does the fact that she – Died from a medical, an untreated medical condition, as opposed to an execution.
0: Oh, right.
2: Like, is that a distinction without a difference? And so, right, right. And so, on the one hand, I think you can read that comparison of, you know, Oklahoma or other states in the U.S. to some place like Iran and say, "Oh, come on, like that's, like that's embellishment." But there are life and death consequences in both places for the laws that we pass.
0: Right. Well, and um. You know, I think we've seen other laws that aren't life and death, but are similar in sentiment, right? Um, for example, like there was a debate this year in the Oklahoma legislature in the House specifically about the rules, like the House rules and dress code, and like um, forbidding um, hoodies and some other things, right? Like on the House floor, which okay, like fine, like there's I think there's a certain level of decorum. Um, however, in missouri the legislature there passed their rules that i think essentially like requires women to cover their arms at all times right now like i'm sure the men in their infinite wisdom saw this as like well we got to wear you know suit jackets they should cover their arms too with with a like a open ignorance and blatant disregard for like the norms of fashion in today and also, it's generally cold in there, and they usually wear cardigans. And they even argued last year whether or not a cardigan, like, fulfilled the the sentiment of this rule or not, um, or, the the like, the spirit of the rule and not just the letter of the rule. And so I think we see those kinds of, like, when you're cracking down on what grown-ass people wear to the office that are elected officials and are professional people, then – and it's definitely targeted at one gender and not the other or others um that feels one like you've you've lost track of what you're there to do right yeah.
2: i mean if you're there to exert power and control you haven't right well that's true i mean like it depend like i i mean it depends on why like some of these people see themselves like did they see that like did they see themselves I am coming to the state house, you know, in Oklahoma or Missouri or, you know, the Capitol in Washington. I I did this because I want to pass legislation that, like, makes America a better place? Or am I coming because I want to exert, use the power of the state to push back against cultural forces that I either fear, don't like, or don't understand? Right. Right? Right. So I guess I would say if the answer is the second one, the latter, then (laughs) – if the answer is the latter, then then they haven't lost sight of what they're there to do. They're doing exactly what they came to do, right?
0: Yeah. Resume I mean, is what they should
2: do, though. Well, I mean, correct. But. Yeah.
0: Well, we should get into this more with uh, Commissioner Osborne in two weeks. Um, un- I mean, yes,
2: but also, unfortunately, I feel like this is going to be a recurring theme.
0: <laughs> yes. I think this I think this is prescient. It's, it already yeah. is. <laughs> That's right. This is not our first radio. Um, we're also going to talk briefly about another article, and this really is a good segue into our discussion of, of uh, education. You're and a good segue. Thank, 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 you. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm going to just, uh, sidestep that and say thank you to, uh, Micah who helped prepare our agenda for today. Wasn't this better than you and I scrambling in the 15 minutes prior to recording <laughs> to pull some of the links together? I think so. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, so um, this other article came out in the Oklahoman earlier this week. Um, it was from uh, journalist Ben Felder, friend of the show, I think. We haven't had him on, have we? We should. I don't think he's ever been a guest. We should.
2: We cite his work an awful lot.
0: We do, and I think I've been on the, his podcast. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, he had a story in the Oklahoman earlier this week, uh, I think on Thursday maybe, um, that was about the quote grassroots movement behind Oklahoma school vouchers. And to quote one of my colleagues, it's not so much grassroots as it is astroturf.
2: God, I hoped you were going to use the words mm-hmm.
0: astroturf. <laughs> it's um <laughs> and it's so, like the tea party all over again. It is. It really is. So, you know, at least two bills have been filed this year about a, a voucher program, and I'm sure Ellen will fill us in more on that. I'm gonna say on this article itself was a Essentially, like, Ben outlines a detailed timeline that was finalized on how to drum up social media support after the governor's state of the state address, which is expected to include a call for a voucher program, right? So we expect on Monday that we will hear about a voucher program. That's on our bingo card, I think. And just, I mean, this is pretty clear that, like, there's already a plan in place to have a social media blitz like, in support of the governor's statements about this from certain uh, certain actors, right, on, on one side of the aisle. Um, over the last several months, a group calling itself Oklahoma Education Reform Coalition has held an out-of-state planning retreat and other, like, monthly meetings, developed a detailed comms strategy, worked to gain support among various parent groups, all in hopes of getting lawmakers to allow private schools to receive tax dollars. We've also heard, I think, from multiple sources So, so they made the plan before they did the Twitter outrage. The tw- Twitter outrage is next week. Yeah. We're not there yet. Yeah, but they but right. they, they did the they did the plan first. Yeah, it's planned. It's a strategy. And this is what you and I often talk about, right? Is that they are being proactive and not reactive to this. They're ready. They're you, pushing this strategy. You, 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 and an I, out
1: of state strategy.
0: A nationwide strategy, Ellen. That's exactly right. Yeah. I, in fact, I right. um, I told you this earlier today, Ellen. But I got a call from a, a friend in Colorado who watched a I think a TikTok video of former President Trump talking about education plans and uh, some stuff related to that. And she said, "Isn't this the same thing that your like superintendent said?" And I said. I watched it, and I was like, well, I'll be damned. Yeah, it's pretty verbatim.
2: Wait, Ryan Walters didn't have an original thought? I'm stunned.
0: Yeah, I mean, he was definitely a mouthpiece for the same talking points that I'm sure were not – they're not Trump's original thoughts either. This is an orchestrated nationwide push. There's, I think, 20 – Ellen, you can correct me. Is there 26 states with voucher bills proposed this year?
1: Yes. Before we get any further –
0: Ellen,
2: can you tell us? I can you tell us a little about yourself, what you do at OEA, um, before because before we start just getting into the meat of it, because we all know each other, but for the listeners who who may not, um, thanks for yes. being here and tell us tell us what you do.
1: So, um, Ellen Pogamiller and I've been at OEA for the last three and a half years. I'm part lobbyist, so sometimes that has a negative connotation, but really, I'm the the eyes and ears of our members across the state, educators and support staff who want someone at the Capitol that is advocating on behalf of the students in their profession. And then I'm part actually just organizer. So I go out and I have schools in the state that I visit. So my schools are kind of Shawnee down to Ada. So I, for me, I'm a OKCPS parent, but it's also so important for me to hear rural voices and what they want to see in their schools too. So that's kind of a little bit about what I do. Well,
2: well, well. Thank you for being here. Um, and that was uh, the, the the applause. There was well The audience is thrilled with Ellen's presence. That's great. So. So we'll get, we'll get to vouchers specifically, but before we get in, before we get into vouchers and Walters and, and all of this nonsense, um, what is kind of give us the, the lay of the land, um, where we are with education in Oklahoma, as we enter the legislative session, what are the main issues and kind of, what do you see, what does the legislative landscape look like for, for education, um, for, for this session?
1: Well, just where we are in a state is um, not well-funded. We're 49th in the state for funding. Unfortunately, that also leads into kind of 49th in testing and educational kind of attainment. But it doesn't really reflect the work that's going on in our schools. So those are educators and support staff who are doing incredible work with a small amount of funding to be able to pull off what they're pulling off. Um, As far as the landscape goes at the Capitol, this legislative session, I think there's a lot of concern because of what happened during the election season, that there feels like there has to be a push for reform or a push for choice because people voted for candidates who use that as one of their main points of messaging. And I would say That is not at all what was reflected in our conversations with educators and parents. What they want is a better investment in their schools. And so what's happening at the Capitol now is really strong conversations about, we have a huge amount of emergency certified teachers. And the best way that we were able to decrease the amount of emergency certified teachers that we had is when we invested $6,100 into a pay raise for our educators, just across the board pay raises, helped increase educators wanting to one, stay, and two, come back to the profession. So, I mean, I think we're a little nervous. There's a new, completely new Senate Education Committee. Um, There's a chair that has stayed the same, but the majority of the members have changed. And we also have a House Education Committee that's filled with a lot more educators than our Senate side, unfortunately. So I, I think there's a lot of nervousness going into this session from my perspective.
2: So I'm going to, I'm going to preface this by saying, you know, we, we know each other. We know each other. I know you, I know you, I know your hubs. Um, love, love you guys. I'm going to play devil's advocate because someone has to, it's a better discussion if someone plays devil's advocate. So we're talking about Ryan Walters who won state this the race for state superintendent. Um, um, pretty sizably um, and really has made a centerpiece of his campaign um, school choice. So he won. He won pretty big. Um, so why why is it wrong to say that that's not – because what I feel like I hear you saying is that that's – that, that you know, quote-unquote school choice, a voucher program, et cetera. What I feel like I hear you saying is that that's not what Oklahoma voted for, but it seems like it is. So why – what's the disconnect there?
1: I think, I mean, I think just, you know, in talking with communities and kind of information that we have gained from surveys and polls that we have sent out, the number one issue that parents want is a qualified educator and they don't want to leave their public school. They believe in their, they are choosing their public school. And so I think it's just, it's a huge leap to be able to say, I understand it was a platform that he ran on, but I don't think it, it's what brought voters to the poll. My perspective is they voted more in line with like what they're afraid of, which is kind of some of these cultural things than they, than what they were for. They're it's just a really hard thing to understand, but the challenge is, is people are more fearful than they are wanting what they want.
2: Fear is a powerful tool. That's why people use it.
0: It's true. I mean, yes. That's true. It's uh that's demoralizing. I um it's not the only tool though. Like it's not the only motivating thing, right? Like there's a lot that we can do. Hope and change is incredibly inspiring, right? Like there's a lot that we can do to inspire people. And I think um, I think on some level, like just getting people to pay attention, right? Because uh, most most Oklahomans are not even thinking about these issues the way that we think about them, right? Like if you, and listeners, if you were listening to this podcast, there's an excellent chance that you were in that like 1%, 5%, whatever, the, the small group of folks who actually think, if not live and breathe some of these issues on a week-to-week basis. And there are people in your life Scott, the people in your life, Micah, Ellen, me, people in my life who don't think about this as often as I do. And I'm not saying that they should, but I'm saying that we collectively could help them be more informed and think about it a little bit more than they do right now. I mean, this is huge. We
2: have this discussion all the time. It comes up every holiday, you know, <clears throat> we'll start talking and and you know, my it usually it's my my father in law and I or I Me, mean, my brother-in-law, or my parent—you know—people say, "Well, let's not let's not talk about politics." No, no, no. That is the, that is the problem. We need, like, we need to talk about we need to talk about politics because it does affect all of us. The issue is we have to figure out a way to talk about politics without, you know. I, I think the issue is not that it's it, it is that we don't talk about it enough, but we have lost the ability to talk about it without. Calling the other side evil, essentially, right? Um, you know, I was talking to a buddy of mine this week, and he he was talking he 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 was relating a conversation he'd had with a colleague of his at work. Um, who's you know, the, my friend is pretty progressive. Um, his colleague is pretty conservative, and and the 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 more conservative guy, you know, said some things, brought up some things, and 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 my my point was saying, well, my my friend was saying, well, you know, you're talking about like quote unquote liberals or progressives, like. They're not wrong. They just have like – it's not wrong of them to think what they think. They just have a different opinion than you. And and he said that the conservative guy was like, no. Like, no, they're they're wrong. They're wrong and they're bad. And essentially if they think that way, they should like – if you think differently than me, you don't get to be part of the discussion. Right. And like that is the – that's the, the problem, right, um, yeah. is that we have lost the ability – let me back up here – I've, I've been married for 15 and a half years and when we first got married um Ashley and I you know of course, got all kinds of you know advice and some of it was great some of it was less great you know there was the classic never go to bed when you're angry right the one that like everybody sure, sure. The one that everybody says but actually the the single the single best piece of, of marriage advice that I ever got and the one that I pass on anytime I have a friend or a sibling or family member who's getting married is is and, I, and and I'm I have a point. <laughs> the point is that is that um, no matter what happens, the key is to always assume the best mm-hmm. about your partner, mm-hmm. right? Always, even when they may frustrate you, even when they may make you angry, you make them angry. If you always assume that they have the best of intentions, yeah. it gets much easier, right? It's much easier to work through whatever that that disagreement is when you don't assume malevolence as like the underlying right. yeah. the Gi- underlying issue.
0: Give them the benefit of the doubt.
2: Right. And we don't do that in our politics anymore. And I can hear listeners saying, well, yeah, but that other side doesn't deserve the benefit of
0: the doubt. <laughs> and you're not wrong. <laughs> but <laughs> about, but you might be about some of them, right? Like, right. And it's a big difference because we, we attribute the worst attributes of the few folks who we see on TV or the radio or whatever um, and we apply those to everybody else. Yeah, this, yeah. We had this discussion at the beginning of the episode, right?
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. sure. But we're we're starting to wax uh, philosophic, which is wonderful. But uh, we need to focus on education. So, okay, so so Ryan Walters wins. Um, the governor wins. They're both big voucher fans. Vouchers came up last year. Senator Treat ran the bill. Senator McCall said it wouldn't go up. Uh, Speaker McCall said it wasn't going to happen. It it didn't happen, but it was close. So we know vouchers are going to come up this year. Walters also, uh, Superintendent Walters and Secretary Walters, the same, one of the same. He presented his updated budget this week to the House uh, House Education Committee, um, and and that's you know you always say uh, a budget lays out your priorities. So from looking at that, can you can you give us a synopsis of what is Walters' proposed budget, um, and what what do we what what can we tell about what what he wants to do with education in Oklahoma based on his budget, and how does OEA What do you guys think about that?
1: So his budget that he laid out, um, and again, a budget is a proposal. Like you said, it's a priority list and the legislature can do as they see fit with it. Kind of two main things that he really focused on in his budget proposal. One is that instead of like an across the board raise for all educators, which was previously put on Hofmeister's budget, this would be a merit pay. Uh, something where schools could identify superior excellent teachers and they would receive a pay increase between $2,500 and $10,000. So that was one key piece. The other one um, was focused on a hundred million dollar investment for reading. So as far as OEA, was the first one as merit pay or incentive pay, no one at oea is against providing guidelines where an educator who has gone above and beyond like a national board certified teacher receives additional funding the challenge that we have is that when you have a program that is going to use subjective measures um, to identify educators to get an increase in pay you lose a lot of value because, at the end of the day, an educator is a team player. These are people who work collectively. If you're a third grade team or your middle school team, we work to improve the education of every student and lift each other up by creating teams. And when we look at a payment that incentivizes not being a team player, or that may be subjective because a principal or administrator likes one, you know, teacher better. You create a dynamic in the school that it's not lifting everybody up.
2: Can you talk more about that? The the criteria, like what, like when when you're talking about Walter's criteria for like this this subjective evaluation for who should get a merit based increase. What are the criteria? What are the what are the things that he is proposing should be used to determine who gets these raises
1: and he he was kind of not super specific he was kind of across the board so i'm shocked one aspect one was like that's one of the disrespectful
2: things that i would say
1: (laughs) well it, it it became kind of confusing because part of it was on professional learning which has always been a key focus on any professional like when you're in a professional how do i want to look at my teaching and how do I want to approve that? And the problem is, is that a lot of times teachers don't have super control on what that professional learning is. And actually at the state legislature, they want to kind of remove that professional learning focus. So there was kind of a disconnect of like legislature is kind of moving away from this and now we're moving back to provide increase to some teachers. And then um, using some kind of, a lot of tle is the one it's like a tulsa model that the majority of state uses and it's kind of like a checklist that an administrator can go in and kind of look at hey these are the things that are going on in a teacher's classroom but i think if you've ever gone through an evaluation process there are some i have gone through an evaluation process that they say ellen we are not going to give you fives across the board you know there's nobody here that's five you always have some to work on Well, when you have an administrator who works in different dynamics than maybe a different administrator, you may have more teachers that qualify for a superior teacher than at a different building just because of the way the administrators, you know, use their qualifying program.
2: So this would be like at the, like literally at like the principal level, like your principal would decide you get the raise, you don't get the raise because of some criteria that are fairly nebulous and – and can can kind of change even from person to person. Is that
1: correct? And I will say in that committee meeting and these are all educators over and over again saying I I want our teachers to get paid more and I want to help lift those that are going above and beyond. But the problem is is I've never seen a merit pay that works. Explain to me how this would be different. Well, and and it
0: Sorry, I it didn't. Mean, yeah, it didn't. And Ellen, I saw something this week that showed that, like, in locations, not just states, but locations that pay teachers more, student performance follows. Um, and Oklahoma's system is trying to reverse that, right? It's trying to say, like, demonstrate, show us the student performance, and we'll give you more money, right? But that's not always the case, right? Because, like, if everyone is starting out at not getting the raise – then, like, the incentive is a little ephemeral, right, that people may not ever, ever have it realized. And it's just stru- struck me as, like, a little surprising that that we have data that shows if you pay teachers more, students do better. And we're trying to, like, reverse that in the other way. And I don't think it's going to work as well.
1: And And if you – what's the incentive for you to take a group of students who may be performing low – and not – if they use testing as one of their options, which um, Walters did use that as another option that you could use, what's the incentive for a, teacher to, a great teacher to come in and work with a low-performing classroom when they can meet a high-performing classroom and have all of the test scores that they need? It, right. it kind of right. disincentivizes us for working with those who need it most.
2: Right. Oh, that's a really good point. I mean, that's, that's the next thing I was going to I, – I don't mean to say well, that's the next thing I was going to say because that's brilliant. <laughs> no, but I mean we see this in healthcare, right? Because you know value based care, um, quali- you know kind of quality care. This is a big thing in healthcare right now. And so the thing is, is you're looking at like you know pay yours, pay yours are looking at like you know things like A one C control and are people getting their screenings and are you know people with diabetes taking statins and it's like okay, there's all these quality metrics, but you're sitting here thinking like okay. As a doctor, like, I can prescribe a statin to all of my diabetic patients, but I cannot go home with them and make them take it, right? <laughs> Um, and, like, the vast majority of my diabetic patients do take statins, but I have a handful that are just, like, no, I'm not going to do it because the internet told me that it causes Alzheimer's. And, like, nothing that I say convinces them otherwise, right? Similarly, they look at, like, well, did all of your patients that are due for colonoscopies and mammograms get them? And I'm, like, I mean, like, literally 98% of them did, but I have a handful of patients. Like, I've got this one dude that's, like, I'm never getting a colonoscopy. I'm never screening for and like, And, like, it's, like, it's hard because they, cause, cause you have this same – this this same dynamic at play that when, you know, it sounds really great to pay for quality, however, that incentivizes people to try and try and accrue whatever field, all right, well then what's the easiest population to meet the quality metric? Whether that's students or patients or, you know, whatever field you're 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 talking about. And so, you know, I mean, I am firmly of the belief that, yes, like, what we should be doing is just paying teachers more. Um, We should raise taxes and pay teachers more, and then the quality will follow. I think that there is maybe – I think that there is probably a universe in which rewarding – if you could find a way to do it that is fair, that is equitable, that doesn't incentivize, you know, trying to find a classroom that already has the most high-performing students – that, that I, I think it's fair to try and reward people who are exceptionally good at their job or put an exceptional effort at their job, but that's just much much harder to do than it than it seems. It's one of those things that sounds really great, but in mm-hmm. practice, but in practice, when you are talking about something like education or, quite frankly, medicine, becomes a lot more tricky than. You know the the broker with like the best portfolio, or the salesman with the highest the highest number of of, uh, of commissions or whatever, right? It's it is trying to apply market forces to something for which the market like that's not what markets are designed for. Like that's not their purpose, mm-hmm. right? So that's his. That's so 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 merit pay increases. That's one big proponent of his plan. Um, what else? What else did we see from from the Walters budget?
1: So the other big piece, and I don't know, you know, if everyone's familiar with the science of reading, but in the last several years, this, there's been a real focus on phonics education. We've had different methods of reading that we were teaching the kids and introducing at too young of an age. So one of those would be when you were teaching a kid to read, you would try to use context clues or pictures, which is obviously a strategy we've all used, but not at such a young age where we were kind of losing the phonics, um, phonetic awareness and decoding strategies. And so actually like two years ago, Superintendent Hoffmeister was like, we have to put funding into this. So she actually used ARPA funds to start training our elementary education educators on the science of reading, which is really how do you bring phonetics back into your classroom? And so that has been going on. And if you talk to any of our teachers, it has been a lot of work outside of the classroom. It's online trainings, platforms that they have to use.
2: Can I and ask so- a question? Yes. Yeah. Um, have we stopped using phonics? Because I feel like that's how I learned no. to read. I'm hooked on it. Right? Like I was like hooked on phonics. worked for me. Right? This was like my childhood.
1: Yeah, we haven't stopped. It was just that we were kind of using multiple strategies within phonics. So there were kids that were getting lost within those strategies. And instead of focusing on just phonics, we kind of we kind of sidetracked for a little bit. And there's been a real push across the nation back into just using phonics as our streamlined form of reading.
2: Phonics and the and Shirley so method, man, that was my that, that was my that was my elementary school.
0: What's the Shirley method?
2: The Shirley... Oh, dude. The Shirley Method is bomb. That's how I learned a diagram a sentence. I, I still know my Shirley Method songs from fourth
0: grade. I, Knowing you, I believe that. I have no idea what you're talking about. Though. Ellen, you know what I'm talking about, right? The sh- no? No. <laughs> I,
1: mean, I went to Texas school, that
0: we didn't do Shirley. This, I went to Texas schools too. We had a different way of doing it,
2: right? I think it was called the Shirley method. It was like you had all these like things of like how to how to remember like what prep it was. It was more like English, like like sentence and grammar than like reading. But like it was like how to remember what prepositions are, like how to figure like how to diagram sentences, like like what is a verb, like what is an adverb, like how do you use like parts of speech.
0: I remember diagramming sentences. Oh, dude,
2: the Shirley method. I'm gonna like. You keep talking. I'm going to Google Google it up right now and see if, like...
0: Shirley, you can't be serious.
2: See? Look. See? Micah knows. Micah knows. Micah's all about the Shirley
0: method. There it is. There's a book. Yes. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Indeed.
2: (laughs) There it is. Man. Do you have sad trombone still? I do.
0: I'm ready for any mood that you throw at me.
2: God, I've missed sad trombone. (laughs) I I even...
0: I should Scott Pruitt return to the news. I've got my Pruitt Watch music ready right here. Okay. Well, don't play it. No, no. I'll, I'll get too excited. S- special occasions.
2: Yes. But, okay. So we're bringing we, – we, we have kind of moved oh, – we we've changed maybe it sounds like the way that we've taught reading in the past. And Walters is wanting to bring us back into kind of this – Well,
1: Super you know, Tina two years ago really started okay. this pressure back on the science of reading. Okay. And then we – and and so we're our work is like kind of just catching up to that and so um what superintendent walter says is like well we're going to invest another hundred million dollars um and and it's going to be a one-time fund that we're going to do this and i think there were like again a lot of concerns from the beginning no one disagrees with the science of reading uh representative baker who has been a champion for you know making sure we have dyslexia training for our educators, making sure that we have the science of reading, that we have coaches that are helping educators you know implement this into their classroom. These are all strategies that our legislators have been talking about. The challenge is that what Secretary Walters wants to do, or Superintendent wants to push $100 million to reading strategies, and then through that training, we're going to improve reading. And it's not very long term. I mean, if you've invested a hundred million dollars, it's hard to say that in one year we're not going to need those same fundings because we've started different programming. Mm-hmm. And so I think there was a lot of reservation in that room of like, no one's saying no to this. We we want to improve our reading scores, but we are all thinking long term. What and and if we're training a lot of teachers, as one of the representatives said. When we have a turn rate of teachers leaving the classroom so quickly, you know, we can't just train and then hope they all come back next year. What are we doing to ensure that those teachers are coming back who we've trained and making sure that this is like a long-term strategy to help kids across our state?
0: Yeah. You know, what's this whole conversation is reminding me that I have not thought about reading strategy, reading education, and I guess the science of reading in a very long time. And in my two older kids, um, they are nine and 11 now, so they can, they both learn how to read. Took my son, an 11 year old, reads a ton. Like he's happy to just go in his room and read books about Minecraft or, you know, uh, Nordic myths and legends. Um, but as my youngest daughter, who turns three next week, is starting to like learn, um, I have, I've, based on some of her own developmental status i guess um i give a lot more thought into like how we learn as humans um and the variety of tools and tactics that we must employ um i don't think ellen that anyone is opposed to the science of reading right hoffmeister proposed it walters proposed it okay great like we're all on board that's fine um i don't think there's any consternation about that but there are other issues that are coming out that are certainly like Maybe distracting from that, right? And this is this is, I think when it comes to regular everyday folks, we have to think about this. That and Scott, this is to your point. We can't write everybody off as all good or all bad, right? We can't have this like um, extremist kind of. Uh, in psychology, we call it splitting. I'm gonna write Nathan Dom off as all bad. No, hey, we talked about his bill about nuclear power plants. Shit. He has some good stuff. Shit. He's had one good thing. You're right. Um, but we can't just write all this stuff off as bad. But we do have – because if we do, like w- w- we let perfect be the enemy of good, I know there may be a lot of bad that we can oppose. And if we are more strategic about opposing the bad and more strategic about supporting the good, we might, just might, move our state ahead, move our state forward just a little bit, right? So, Ellen, were you
2: were you at the meeting this week, the committee meeting where he presented the budget? Yes. Yeah. So what is your what was your takeaway from that meeting and how how it was received? What what? Because because as you as you pointed out, um, which is which is really um, good and accurate, you know, Superintendent Walters, he can have all the budget proposals he likes, but the legislature appropriates dollars. Um and and can in some cases dictate at least put some strings on how they're spent. So so he laid out his budget. How was that received? By it was the House Education Committee, right? House Subcommittee on. It was uh...
1: actually House and Senate.
2: Yeah. Okay. So so how was that received? And what's what what do you think we're what what do you think we're seeing moving forward?
1: Um, I think it was received with um, hesitation. I think there was a lot of just um, questions about, you know, what did this look, what would this look like across the state? What would this look like in my community? And I think there were still a lot of unanswered questions. And so, you know, I think while for the most part, the focus was on the budget, there was just general concerns about how we talk about educators, how we treat educators, the respect that this profession and i just think there 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 is definitely discourse between that superintendent walters and the body at large
2: sure there's the other big thing um and we talked a little bit about this uh last week i think um senator Pugh adam Pugh has a major education kind of policy uh, initiative proposal whatever you want to call it what uh OEA, oh, yeah. what, what do you guys think about the Pew plan? Um,
1: we we like the Pew plan. The Pew plan is a plan of someone who has listened to people across the state. You know, there was a focus on pay, on you know, looking at how we assign grade systems to schools, like rethink, rethinking a lot of things that we at OEA have been saying for a long time.
0: And it doesn't include vouchers, right? That was not part of the discussion.
1: It, it was not part of the discussion.
0: It's it is interesting, it, given the conversations at the Capitol the last couple of years, for such a comprehensive education plan to be revealed that did not include vouchers.
1: I will say that we were really to, you know, with our messaging of how we were going to, you know, respond to Pew's plan, and we all sat quietly and listened and reflectively thought, this is a plan that really prioritizes a lot of issues that we would like addressed in our state.
2: You know, I'll say, um, Senator Pew, I don't always, I don't always agree with him. In fact, I would say I often don't, don't agree with him. But I do think that he is um, a pretty thoughtful guy. Um, so it, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me, um, that he would put forward something that, you know, you know, maybe it's all good, but whether it's all good or has a lot of good and some not so good, whatever, it doesn't surprise me that he would put forward a plan that looks like it's had a lot of, a lot of thought and effort, like put into it, not, uh, not dashed yeah. off on the back of a napkin.
0: Right. Well, and I think, I mean. Senator Pugh, given his district, right, he represents Edmund East, I think the eastern half of Edmund, right? He's a Republican, he's a veteran, Air Force veteran. Um, and when you look at, I think, how a lot of parents view themselves, whether they live there or not, right? Like a suburban dad who who is a veteran and like middle class, all those kind of things – there's something like relatable about that to people like me, who is a middle-class white guy also. Um, I live in Oklahoma City, but certainly can see myself as a sub- suburban dad in an alternate universe. And because um, I used to live in Edmond, I guess. Um, and and so I think there's like a safety that comes from a plan like that. And, and, and that's also because the vouchers are being proposed and couched as like this school choice option for like, you can choose whatever school you want to go to, to be like, you know what? The choice really exists like from the schools, right? Like every school is competing already to be the best public school they can be with the resources that are afforded to them. Um, and, and the plan like that I think is accessible to a lot of people um, in some really empowering ways. Is that fair to say? Absolutely.
1: Ellen? Yes. And I, it's so important when we talk about choice that public schools, like in Oklahoma City, there are 26 public schools to choose from. We have open transfer. That is a choice made. In the Oklahoma article, I think it was this week, they actually interviewed some superintendents down in Atoka, and they said, our schools are open choice. Like Kids are moving for different rural schools because those schools offer a program that they like maybe different or a sports activity better or music whatever that may look like but i think when we talk about choice and i do think that was reflective is that we have done a great job of allowing choice in public schools and 90 percent of kids are choosing those and when we talk about bringing in choice from the private we can show nationally that 75, 80% of those people who are choosing those vouchers are people that are already in the private school system. Right. And those are already people who make way above the income that don't need, you know, a voucher assistance program.
0: Right. Well, that's, so I told you, the person I mentioned earlier who called me from Colorado, like I think their kids go to private school, they went to private school and they, when they saw, we'll say the rhetoric coming from, from Walters, they were, like the voucher part wasn't part of their thing because they've got enough money. Like they can pay. Would they like to save a few, a little bit of money? Sure. But I mean, I just saw earlier on Twitter the tuition increases for the three largest private schools in Oklahoma City, like, are enormous amounts of money. Like fifteen thousand, twenty-three thousand dollars, like per year. It was way more than a voucher would ever help. Like if you give them a five thousand dollar voucher, it's not gonna like make it affordable to anybody right even it was just shocking to me where they were like it's it is clear they are pricing themselves for a particular constituency and so that issue is not as big of a deal Um, there are other parts of maybe not of walter's plan like his what he proposed not his budget plan but of his like policy plan that are way more concerning i think to, to more voters to be like you know, I don't really care about vouchers, but it seems like he wants to kick out trans kids, and that seems bad to me. Or he doesn't, you know, like I don't. He hasn't said that, but you know what I'm. You well, know what I'm saying. And I
2: mean, and that's not just him. The number, the number of, the number of anti-trans bills in the legislature this this session is just, it's staggering and very disheartening. I think what will happen. I could be wrong. We'll see. I think what will happen with the vast majority of these anti-trans bills is they will get heard in their chamber of origin, mm. and then you know they'll get heard in committee, they'll get heard on the floor in their chamber of origin, and then they won't get heard in the opposite chamber. Yeah. I think th- I think what will happen is they'll get a vote in their chamber of origin to, you know, give political cover to the people that feel like they need to vote for them, and then they won't get heard on the opposite chamber. And at the, and at the end of the at the end of the session, it's gonna be oh we didn't have time, you know.
0: Yeah, that's, that's exactly
2: right. I, and I, I do I, think I think that's awful, but I also think that's. I think it is awful that the bills are there, but I think that's, that's probably the best case scenario is for them to just not get heard yeah. and die.
0: Yeah.
1: And I do, I mean, the, and I think the problem with the dynamics when is like, if you're not in weeds, that kind of discussion, I mean, it doesn't really make sense, but I'm like, oh, I hear what you're saying, Scott, mm-hmm. but like when you're going out to the public and trying to explain that this is just a like hearsay over here, don't worry about it. It's very disconcerting, yes, you know, to educators who just yes. want kids to feel safe at school. Yes. Yeah. And agreed. so,
2: I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a pediatrician. Like this is like the fact that these, totally. the fact that these bills even exist is like the fact that we're having this conversation is abhorrent. Um, but I am, cautiously optimistic that most of them are not going to become law
0: let's we hope you're right we hope you're right yeah ellen thank you so much for being here with us today
1: thank you so much for having me it was so great to be a part of the conversation thanks
0: uh scott thanks for being here as well thank you for having me listeners thank you for being here as well oh micah thanks for being here our interns waving at me from across the room uh, listeners, a couple of reminders before we go. Um, first is that Monday, as we said, is the State of the State address. If you want to go, it is free and open to the public, and you certainly can. Uh, I'll be there. Michael will be there. Ellen, I think, will probably be there. Maybe. No, you'll be yeah, Never mind. Um, you can also watch online at okhouse.gov. I think probably News 9 will carry it live as well around noon on Monday, Next week's episode, we will talk about it. We'll follow up. Uh, We'll probably do it early in the week. Scott, you may have to miss out on that because I'll be out of town. We'll see how it goes. Um, If you are interested in going to the Capitol this session, this spring, go to our website, letsfixthis.org slash calendar. We've created uh, a community calendar. Micah has done the legwork on this to compile as many Capitol days, advocacy events, and legislative deadlines as we can. So you can find those on there. Just kind of stay in the loop. Find a cause. Find something to be involved with and go to the Capitol. Um, we'll try to be there for many of them. If you have questions or are interested or just curious, please reach out to us. Happy to answer those questions. And we would love to hear from you about what guests, what topics you want to discuss on the podcast this year. Uh, You can email us anytime at podcast at letsfixthis.org. And with that, as we say every week, decisions are made by those who show up. Have a good week.